This is the motherfucking Blood Doctor Show. On a Wednesday, as it was and it always should be, this time at 1 a.m. on a Wednesday, though, but it still counts because it is after the expiration of Tuesday and thus in the place that it should be. We return to our favorite place, which is Wednesdays, a little later in the week than I wanted to be, but still much better than I've been doing, don't you think? Months turn into days. Soon it will only be hours. And you will have so much content from me that you'll unsubscribe. But then I'll find you and resubscribe you. That's how, like, in your face I'm going to be, dear listener. (laughs) I'm punchy at this point. It's been a long day. What can I say? But long days are not. When the discussions must be had, I am here to have them. That is my motto. It's not my motto. I've never said it before, but it kind of feels like it should be my motto, right? I wish I had a producer so I could be like, add it to the list of mottos. But I don't wish I had a producer because then that would mean someone was helping me and I need no help because I am that awesome that I can do all of this alone with no script. And you're sitting here listening to this. You're like, oh, really? You're doing this with no script? That's amazing. It has been an eventful day in the sports world for a few reasons. LeBron James passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the all-time NBA scoring record. Talk about that in a bit. Matt Ishbia approved as the owner of Phoenix Suns. It's happened in the last 24, 36 hours, whatever exactly, whenever the vote went down, I'm not sure, but it's just happened. We knew it was coming, but the actual official vote has come down. Kyrie Irving went to Dallas. That actually happened a bit ago, but it was the possibility that I mentioned on the previous episode and now has happened. So lots to discuss, but we'll go there in a moment, as we always do. Let's start with how Republicans are ruining everything for all of us, as usual. There are two bills I'd love to highlight, and... I'm not going to like sit here and tell you that I've read them all the way through and know all the details of them because on their face they are so absurd that one need not read the details of them at all. One need look at them and say, how is it possible that anyone could even suggest such a ludicrous, impossibly stupid fucking thing? And then one remembers, ah, yes, Republicans. Two bills, one in Iowa, one which would allow child labor Uh, And I believe it's ages 14 to 17. So we're essentially opening labor up down to 14 years old. And as one person on Twitter put it, and I forgive me, I don't know who it was, um, but they said that the uh, companies would not be liable in civil suits in the event of death or injury to those children. (laughs) So this is in Iowa. Again, like that's, I laugh because like how fucking ludicrous is this? How could you even... How could you even suggest this? So many Republicans have children. They have families because that's they're the party of family values and we're the party of the Christian family image and everything about us is a straight white man and a straight white woman and our two straight white children and we're all straight and we wear our Sunday best and we go to church and we love Jesus in America and we love eagles and apple pie and flags and guns and trucks and I have so many kids and eight families. Well, they don't talk about that part, but regardless... Everything's about, oh, I love my family. I love kids. If you loved your kids, 
how could you possibly suggest a bill in which child labor is possible and that, you know, if the company kills them, uh, too bad. Now, obviously, that wouldn't prevent a criminal lawsuit, right? Like if a criminal does, you know, if there's some sort of negligence or whatever, the company could still be held liable in that case. Well, thank God for that. But we wouldn't want them to lose any extra money to a civil lawsuit. I mean, this is just, this is insanity. You know, George Carlin used to say that, you know, Republicans, they loved you before you were born, right? You know, abortions are evil and condoms are evil and, you know, medical care for pregnant women is evil, essentially. And, um, you know, they they love you before you're born. They want to save, they want to save the fetus, save the baby, save the baby. You got to save the baby. Fuck the mother, whatever. Who cares about the mother? We got to save the baby. And then once you're born, you know, no one gives a shit. You know, it's like no one cares about you at all. You don't deserve anything. We don't care. Until you're 18, you know, then we want to, you know, take you to war. And, you know, that was Carlin's thing is they don't care about you. They, they, they care about you before you're born. They don't care about you until you're 18. And then once you're 18, they can send you off to die. And at that point, they're excited to have you again. And it's just, it's the honest to God truth with these people. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit about anyone but themselves. To be a Republican today is to be a narcissist. Anyone who continues to associate with that party, and I'm not saying that I want mass defections from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. All that does is make Democratic policy more conservative. Nobody wants that. But what I'm saying is anyone who would still, at this point, associate with the Republican Party and what they stand for and how they operate is a narcissist because the Republican Party is simply the the party of narcissism. I want what I want for me right now. There's not even like a unifying belief system across them. Like, it's not as if they all think the same things. They can't even agree on a speaker of the house. They can't agree on anything. There's so many extremes in different sectors within that party. They don't have a goddamn clue what their unifying message is. But they all know that they want what they want right now. And they have to have it right now because God told them and they're the only one who knows and God only speaks to them. You know, I don't know how we don't ever, you know, discuss how insane that shit is. But nonetheless, to be a Republican or to be a conservative in America is to be a narcissist. And it is to say that you only care about yourself and what's important to you. And that when anyone else tells you, hey, this is important to me, this is what matters to me, that's not important to you. That's what Republicans are. And apparently, that even extends to their children because, again, this bill allows their children to die and, you know, nary a shrug will be allowed in the state of Iowa. And, I mean, we know that Iowa is a ridiculous joke, what with Steve King having been in office there for 800 years or whatever it is. But consider that this is the state that leads off the presidential elections, right? The Iowa caucuses are such a big deal and we, for some reason – let certain states decide who our candidates are going to be. Don't even get me started on how fucking stupid presidential elections are in this country. I will talk for an hour on that subject alone. But this state is supposedly first in importance in choosing, you know, who's going to be the candidate for president of each party. And they routinely have bills brought in, you know, the state and into National Congress that are just fucking insane. This is this is an insane state full of ridiculous people and 
I mean, it's very clear that Iowa Republicans are not to be taken seriously. Republicans from nowhere are meant to be taken seriously, but we clearly shouldn't listen to Iowa Republicans. Although, if it's between them and Montana Republicans, I don't know what we're going to do, because in Montana, a bill has passed the Montana State House, and I believe now is going to the Montana State Senate, which will force a medical detransition of transgender youth, which essentially means that all of the kids who have been pre- prescribed any sort of medicine from a doctor that affirms who they are will be taken away from them and they will be forced to detransition. So consider what that is for a child who has grown up knowing that something was not wrong, has dealt with dysphoria, has been forced to go through a lot of really difficult therapy because you should have to go through that therapy, but it's difficult. You know, it's not simple to... As a gender fluid person, I went through this stuff. It's difficult, okay? And when you when you are a person who decides to transition, it's not as if they just you go to the doctor and you're like, "Oh, well, here's your, you know, medicine and this is just your that's it. Good. Congratulations. Have a good day." No, you have to go to years of therapy. You have to you know, there are waiting lists and especially depending on what country you're on, there's a lot to it. And so You know, lucky for these kids, they were finally growing up in an era where instead of having to spend their entire lives living one way that they were not, they were finally prescribed the medicine that was necessary to help them become who they are and feel like who they are. And now that will be taken away from them in the state of Montana. I mean, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. But yet again, we have an example of politicians believing that they know more than doctors. John Stewart on his Apple show, you know, asked one of these insane state governors or something why they wouldn't go with the American Medical Association's guidelines in, in regards to only trans youth. They take those guidelines for everything else, but not for trans youth. And of course, they didn't have an answer. And the simple fact of the matter is that, um, you know, Republicans intend to, it is their goal to make it illegal to be trans. That is their goal. Um, They will be coming for homosexuality. They will be coming for interracial marriage. All of those things are on the docket. And this is why I have been trying so hard to get people to understand that the Democratic Party has to stop electing weak, pathetic, centrist-minded idiots with no backbone who actually can't stand up for anything that they believe in and want to spend all of their time hemming and hawing and trying to find some middle ground with people who don't even believe that I have the right to exist as a human being. If Carrie Lake had won the election in this state, I would have had to have left. I would have just had to have moved because she would have found a way to come after me and try to take my son away because there are pictures of me that exist dressed as a woman because I'm gender fluid. That's what she wants to do. And make no mistake, that's not like a joke. That's not an overreaction. I've said to you, I said to you on the last episode, Ron DeSantis is a Nazi. Well, he's not the only one. Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, same thing. Carrie Lake, wannabe governor of Arizona, same thing. And apparently, every Republican in Montana and Iowa, same thing. These people have no soul. There's, it, it is it is evil. And I, 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 I would say to you, I want to say this. If you have these people in your life, be they family members or friends or whatever, and you feel an obligation to keep them in your life because of some sort of long-standing history or blood or that, you know, you can't cut out someone this important to you just because of their beliefs. I want to let you know that you can. I don't speak to my father anymore because of her, his horrendous beliefs. And 
it would take him changing entirely who he is in order for me to ever speak to him again. Because here's the thing. I'm not letting my son grow up hearing the same bullshit that I heard from my father. My father poisoned my mind. And I'm not saying that I ever believed the things that he believed or felt the way that he felt. But it didn't change the fact that he still said things to me that in some cases I thought were true. And sometimes it was just like an innocuous thing about like, oh, a flat tax would work because our tax system is burdensome and actually makes people poorer. And, you know, I know because I work in and I would just believe things like that. Other times it would be something, you know, more evil that, you know, a homeless person is is just not working hard enough. And again, he would poison my mind with things like that, with just evil thought processes that I would then have to work to unravel. And there's no way that I'm going to expose my son to that. You know, raising my son completely differently in the way that my father raised me is like my primary goal as a parent, making sure that I am literally the exact opposite of that guy. That dude was never around. I'm with my son multiple hours every day. That dude didn't participate in my life. I try to participate in everything that my son cares about. Now, he's one year old right now, so that means books and music and playing the same damn Mickey Mouse song over and over. That's fine. I'm going to do that right now. And when he grows up and it's something else, I'm going to do that too. And I would just never allow that son of a bitch to talk to actually you know what i'm sorry to my grandmother that's not fair i would never allow that bitch my father's a bitch i would never allow him to poison my son's mind and so if you feel you know an obligation don't if you want to keep those people in your life that's fine you do whatever it is that you want to do but i think that people feel that they cannot cut someone out because that person is family or because they're a long-term friend or because of whatever someone did for them in the past. Please understand, these people are evil. They are soulless. They want to destroy everything that is not exactly like them. And believe me, they will come for everything. They will come for everything if they are successful with this one thing. I mean, look at how quickly they're moving, right? They move, they overturned Roe versus Wade. Now they're working to criminalize abortion completely. Now we're working to make it illegal to be trans. Soon we're going to be working to prevent interracial marriage. And again, the reason I'm linking interracial marriage is because across the country, many people who have proposed the anti-trans bills have discussed whether or not interracial marriage should be recent, should be legal recently. Recently, they have discussed this, this year. Well, maybe 2022. The point is, we are headed for a nightmare situation against the party of Nazis. And I have been trying to explain to people forever, you cannot vote for this centrist bullshit. The Democratic Party has been pulled to the right over and over and over by the choices that they have made. Now, Bernie Sanders was an opportunity to really change things. And of course, the Democratic Party does what it always does, shot itself in the dick and didn't elect the one person who could have done something about all of this. Joe Biden is... Joe Biden is a Republican. Uh, he's an actual Republican. What passes for Republican now is just an insane person. But Joe Biden is an actual Republican. He he, uh, he, he loves police. He loves military. You know, he doesn't want to help anyone. He thinks marijuana is a gateway drug. I mean, I, you know, Americans don't want a handout. They want, you know, he's, he's a Republican. 
all of his talking points can be found in a in a campaign speech from Bob Dole in 1996. So, you know, this is the problem. And, and you see this thing happen a lot where like a Republican will leave and then join the Democratic Party and people stand up and clap and say, yeah, they're defecting. No, they're changing their name and they're bringing their bullshit to our party and pulling the party to the right. And what does the Democratic Party do during every single election? What occurs? Do they ever court leftist voters? Do they ever look to the left and say, hey, we're going to take your policies? No. What do they do every single time? They court right-wing voters and tell left-wing voters, well, let's just get in office and then we'll actually do the things you want to do. And then do they do those things? No. I said during the last Democratic or during the last presidential election, I said to every single Democratic person who called me, I'm not voting for Joe Biden unless he supports one of Medicare for all, legalize marijuana, abolish ICE, defund the police. I had a list of like seven things and they were all very extreme. But I said, I just want to hear from the Democrats that you support one of these things. And all they would ever say to me is, well, while we don't support those things, we support these things that are halfway to those things. That's my point. You assume that you have the left wing vote. Democrats just assume that the leftists will vote for them. They just make that assumption. Well, you don't want Donald Trump, so you'll definitely vote for Hillary Clinton. How did that go? It went horribly. And they continued to make that choice. Now, in this case, it worked in terms of the 2020 election with Joe Biden winning. But you're walking a fine fucking line when you continue to just say to yourself, well, we're all going to court the same voters, and that is... Red voters on 10% of, on the right 10% of the centrist line. Like, come on, man. You've got to be kidding me. It doesn't matter what election is in what state. Democrats court right-wing voters. It's incredibly stupid. There are millions of people on the left who simply don't vote because you refuse to listen to us. And I'm not saying that I didn't vote in the last election or that I did. It doesn't matter whether or not I did vote. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that leftists are not courted. We are completely ignored. And I won't say whether or not I voted in the election for Carrie Lake or not. It doesn't fucking matter. The point is that leftists are not courted. Leftists need to be courted. And then we would stand up and shout, yes, I am a Democrat. Yes, I love to vote for you. But as of right now, it's a fucking shameful thing to vote for Democrats because the only reason to vote for Democrats is so that Republicans don't win. Do you understand how disgusting it is that the only reason to vote for Democrats is because they're the lesser of two evils. The only reason to vote for Democrats is because they are not inhumane scumbag pieces of shit. It's not that they have good policies. It's just that they don't have horrendous ones. It's not even that they don't have bad policies. Their policies are bad. It's just that they're not incredibly inhumane. And that's the standard that the Democrats hold themselves to because we let them. They hold themselves to, well, we're not Nazis, so we don't have to do anything for you. And we let them do that. And because we let them do that, because we don't hold them to any standard, because we don't fucking do anything, the country moves further and further to the right. And you have a child labor bill in Iowa and a forced detransitioning bill in Montana. Now, the red wave didn't go how everyone anticipated. Senate stays in control of the Democrats. And the House is not nearly as bad as anyone thought. But when you don't have anyone willing to stand up for what they actually believe in and instead always want to negotiate their way into the middle of the middle of the middle, this is where you end up. 
And so this is the reason that I said in the last episode that you need to run for local office. Because if you're listening to this, then I know you feel how I feel about these things. And I know that you have a backbone. And I know that you will stand up for what is right. And that is the most important thing. We literally have drifted to the point that Nazism is not noticed and is somehow supported by the party that loves patriotism. What the fuck is going on? Uh, those who fought in World War II would not recognize this country. I, 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 firmly, I firmly believe that. These beliefs are not what anyone fought for. This is not freedom. This is not freedom. Anyway, let's talk basketball. <laughs> I don't know how to transition. I really don't. I don't know how to come off my speeches into sports, so I just kind of do it. So... After speaking of so many horrible men, let's speak about a couple of great ones who have actually done a lot of really good things for history, not just in sports, but in terms of life. And that is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and LeBron James. LeBron passes Kareem for the all-time NBA scoring record tonight. And the thing about LeBron and Kareem is they are both um, advocates. They are both people who have worked tirelessly outside of basketball to make the world a better place through activism, LeBron with his school. So not just the two highest scorers in the history of the NBA, but also two great men who have done incredible things for the world. And it's interesting to see that we look at politics and we see all these horrendous people who are doing everything they can to obtain power. You know, when Kevin McCarthy became speaker, everyone was like, oh, he's worked his whole life for this. But oh, great. He's worked his whole life to obtain power. Fucking good for him. Who gives a shit? LeBron James has worked his whole life to score 38,388 points and also to fucking kick ass and change the lives of thousands of kids who, who the hell knows what would have happened to them otherwise. And LeBron doesn't just use his money to buy cars and houses and party. He literally fucking, he picked up the mantle of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was one of the first truly outspoken, you know, people who wouldn't listen to the just stick to sports bullshit. And, you know, back in the day, that's what it really always was. And Kareem is an incredible human. LeBron is an incredible human. And, you know, again, LeBron has picked up that mantle he has continued what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar started and what Kareem continues to do. You know, Kareem is still one of the most thoughtful people around. When you hear Kareem speak on an issue, he is he is really thoughtful. And he, I mean, he's just, he's one of the great people to ever live. He's incredibly talented physically. He's incredibly talented as a writer. He's emotional. He's thoughtful. He's intelligent. And, um, you know, Ramona Shelburne said it was really important that when LeBron passes Kareem, that not only do we celebrate LeBron for passing him and setting that record, but we celebrate Kareem for what he has meant to basketball and to the world. And she was right about that. And it just needs to be said. Congrats to LeBron James, but also congrats to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, two of the great people in the history of the world. And I just think that it's it's pretty amazing that we look at our sports people and they end up being better people than our politicians. And again, you might say, well, LeBron has $100 million, blah, blah. I mean, Kareem didn't. 
and he still ended up better than a politician. So I, we shouldn't require our athletes to be better role models than our politicians, but, but they are. And it truly does say something. The great ones are great at many things, right? You know, LeBron is, LeBron can do everything. I mean, he's been in movies, he's acted, you know, he, LeBron was a great tight end in high school. I mean, LeBron can do a little bit of everything. You know, again, he's a political activist. He, you know, has helped build the school, all these things. LeBron is, you know, a jack of all trades. Well, he's really kind of a master of all trades. LeBron can do fucking everything. People who are truly great seem to be capable of doing many, many things. And it's, uh. It's pretty incredible to watch. I don't know if those things include carrying this Lakers team to the playoffs, but whatever, you know, whatever. So after we discussed how happy I was that Sarver had agreed to sell the Suns, coming back, we discussed how Matt Ishbia's first test as owner of the Suns would be, how did he handle the Jay Crowder situation? And... You know, if he didn't make an aggressive move, that that would be disappointing and that would be a failure and that he would have failed his first big test. Well, I was wrong. There was another hidden test that I didn't realize, and that was the don't fucking hire Isaiah Thomas test. And we failed. You might know Isaiah Thomas as the Detroit Pistons guard from the 80s who said something in that one basketball documentary that... Everyone liked because he talked shit about Michael Jordan or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I didn't fucking watch it because I didn't want to change the way that I viewed my childhood. Those Bulls titles were everything to me when I was a kid, and I don't want to hear anyone else's impression of them, even the Bulls themselves. I like them just how they are in my own little head. And anyway, Isaiah Thomas was a phenomenal basketball player. And after that has been one of the worst basketball executives and coaches of all time. Every single stop he has had, he has been bad at his job. He has coached in the NBA. He was bad at it. He was an executive in the NBA. He was bad at it. I think he had like one decent coaching season at one point for the Pacers or something. I'm not even going to go look it up. He was horrible. He was 7-25 and at FIU when he was there in college. The reason it's so horrible is not because he was a bad executive and coach. Those things suck. The reason it was so horrible is that because when he was the president of the Knicks, he lost an $11.6 million sexual harassment lawsuit that said that he had harassed another Knicks executive who was a woman. And essentially, he had harassed her and that when she had you know, complained about it, that her job was threatened and all these things. And again, he lost the lawsuit and all these other unsavory things came out during it. But the point is the Phoenix Suns just went through this bullshit with Robert Sarver. Okay. We just went through this. We just went through this whole situation where our former managing partner was being sexist, racist, homophobic, transphobic, you name it. There are different stories about all sorts of horrible things that he did. They made lots of people really uncomfortable. And not only him, many other executives throughout the Suns. How can the first thing that you do, how can the first thing that you do be to bring in Isaiah Thomas? And furthermore, what does that say to the Mercury who are aligned with and part of the Phoenix Suns organization. What does it say to them? Now, someone else pointed that to me on Spoutable, and then I actually went and I remembered when reading Isaiah's Wikipedia, he actually already went through this shit because the Liberty tried to hire him and it was a whole thing and 
I think he ended up still working in the WNBA anyway. And so it's just like the the NBA wants to be this progressive league that's at the forefront of all the sports leagues and we're the best one and we have the most respect for everyone. And somehow Isaiah Thomas is still just allowed to be around. I, I don't know. Uh, look, I'm not saying that people don't deserve second chances. I'm not saying that there's no opportunity for people to change over time and to have a positive effect on the world in the future. I understand the possibility for that. I also understand it's been 17 years. I get it. I understand all of those things. However, when you are an organization that was literally just in the middle of a sexual harassment and racism scandal... You cannot go hire an executive who has a history of a sexual harassment scandal. I would feel the same thing if we hired an executive who had a history of a racism scandal. It just, we need people who have no history of that bullshit right now. It just is what it is. Our organization, we're, we're, we don't know what we're doing in terms of having a new owner, in terms of cleaning up the culture of, you know, misogyny and sexism and hatred and everything, racism that was going on. We need someone who knows what they're doing in making sure this organization is A-plus top to bottom. And this is not doing that. This is the opposite of doing that. And there's no way that you can sell this to me as a good idea. Like, again... Even if, okay, like, Isaiah was a horrible executive, then had his scandal, then was also a bad coach. Like, I just don't, what is the upside? Like, if you're trying to sell me on, it's Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas, well, he was really bad at this stuff before. And if you're trying to sell me on, well, he's grown from his scandal or whatever, again, he was bad at this before. And if you're not trying to sell me on those things, then how are you, what are you trying to sell me on the culture? Again, he's bad for culture as we've seen. So I just don't, <laughs> this is not the job for Isaiah Thomas. I'm not saying that the man should never be able to work again. Maybe he shouldn't. I don't know. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want him working for the Suns. Much like I did not want Kyrie. I do not want Isaiah Thomas. And, I hope that the fan uproar is enough to stop this from happening. We've got to stop it. I've said stuff to the Suns. I'm sure other people, this, I just hope that this is not something that, and apparently he's going to work in collaboration with James Jones. Like this to me is going to make James Jones nervous and feel like he should leave because James Jones was brought in to work in collaboration with Ryan McDonough and took his job. This is stupid. This is the precursor to something really, really dumb and I just, I'm really unhappy about this. This is a bad idea. It's, and and by the way, what does this say to your employees? Again, not just the Mercury, but what does it say to the employees who still remain there who went through this stuff? You know, it says to them that you clearly don't care by putting them in this situation. And what does it say to the people who went through this who no longer work there anymore? It says to those people that a team that they once loved is no longer something that they can trust. This is a horrible decision. And I hope I hope you will go tweet at the Suns or email the Suns and tell them to please not hire Isaiah Thomas. I'm going to write an email. It's not good for the team. It's not good for the organization. It's not what this team needs right now. And again, whether or not he deserves to work again 
I, I'm going to let someone else, you know, parse the details of that scandal and answer that question. But I can tell you uh, definitively that he should not be working for a team that is just coming off of the scandal, whose owner had to sell the team because of that scandal. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know how I should have to explain that to anyone. I'm sure that I shouldn't. But when a situation is sensitive, you don't double down on stupidity, and that's what we're doing. So, Matt Ishbia, boo on you. You failed your first test as Sun's owner, or Sun's managing partner, excuse me. I hate that other term. And it's just, it's... It's a failure. And if this thing goes through, it's horrible. And, you know, he would have to hit a home run on this Jay Crowder trade to make me like him at all. Um, it's just a bad, bad, bad decision. And I'm disappointed. And um, it is what it is. There's nothing. I, I, mean, I, well, no, I mean, there is something I can do. I'm going to send a goddamn email. So that's, that's what it is. But you just can't do this. And whatever minimal, minimal success Isaiah had, in his post-playing career um, with the Pacers and is like president of the CBA or whatever, whatever few things he may have done right. I don't even remember if he did well at president of the CBA. Like he's had many more failures. I don't want him involved with the Phoenix Suns for many reasons. It's bad. Couple thoughts on the Kyrie trade. I honestly really like it. I think it's really great. Um, for the Nets, I think it's a really good trade. For uh, for Dallas, I think it's horrendously stupid. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand what you're thinking you're going to get from Kyrie that three teams in a row haven't figured out how to get. Like, I mean, yeah, Kyrie hit one of the biggest shots in the history of basketball in the NBA Finals. I get that. And that probably is going to be the apex of his career. And since then, he has done nothing but destroy chemistry and hurt people. And <laughs> I, I don't understand the idea of taking a chance on him at all. Good for you. Like, you know, you do whatever you think. But I mean, as a Suns fan, I love this because if you're trying to tell me that Kyrie is supposed to help Dallas in the playoffs, good luck. Iso ball is not a good idea in the playoffs. And that's all Kyrie is good at. And on defense, you can hunt that motherfucker and teams will. And the reason that the Mavericks beat the Suns in last year's playoffs, aside from the entire Suns team coming down with the flu before Game 7, which is still one of the most depressing things of all time, but the Mavericks just ran a ridiculous five-out pick-and-roll thing or four-out pick-and-roll, depending on you know whoever's on the court, where it just was pick-roll, find the open shooter, shoot, and they just bagged so many triples, so many triples. And one of the biggest pieces of that was Dorian Finney-Smith. He is now gone. Spencer Dinwiddie killed the Suns a couple weeks ago or a week ago or something. He is now gone. Spencer Dinwiddie is basically having a better season than Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie is scoring more points, but Kyrie is, you know, he's a fucking turnstile on defense. And he shows up like, what, every now and then. It's, you know, Kyrie is at the helm of some incredible losses where you're like, he's like, wow, man, look, Kyrie scored 35 and they also lost by 35. Like, I really used to love Kyrie Irving. Anyone who is really close to me can confirm that, again, I used to be a huge Kyrie Irving fan, but not anymore. This is a mistake by Dallas. This dude is built to dribble around and get buckets in the regular season. And the one dude who he fit next to and it's not because of play style, but it's because of personality. The one dude that he actually worked with, he got tired of listening to, 
And, you know, maybe they'll still end up together this summer. That's LeBron. But, I, I mean, truthfully, look, Kyrie should have been a great next fit next to Durant. He didn't even show up. Should he technically be a good fit next to Luka? Sure. There's a basketball world where that works. Absolutely. There's a basketball world where that offense is, like, fucking unstoppable. That world is not going to come to fruition. It might come to fruition for five to ten games, and Mavericks fans will be all over the place, but the defense is going to be a nightmare, and you're going to get picked apart in the playoffs, and Kyrie's going to sulk, and you know he's going to leave for the locker room in the middle of one game, and then he's not even going to be on the Mavericks. It's just... It's going to be a disaster. And every time the Mavericks take one of these swings, they always take a swing on some mercurial dude. I don't understand it. Like, they always want to pair their dudes with, like, the weirdest dudes. Like, like the Kristaps Porzingis situation, like, he and Luca don't really like each other. You know, the Rondo situation, that goes back to more Dirk. But it's like he and Carlisle don't see eye to eye on how basketball should even be played. And or or coached for that matter, and it's just I, the Mavericks keep taking swings on these dudes. Who it's like, why this dude? But I love it. Like, don't get me wrong, I hate the Mavericks. Like after last year, I will only root for horrible things to Dallas. So I'm thrilled that this trade went through. I just can't, I can't for the life of me understand it. Because if you're trying to sell me on the idea that Kyrie is like this distressed asset. That you can somehow get at like low price. Number one, you just traded two key pieces of your rotation who actually fit way better for the playoffs and a first round pick. And you traded them for a dude who has tanked three teams in a row. And it's so mercurial that you don't even know if he's going to show up at any given time. And he still wants a max contract. So like, how is that a distressed asset? You paid two rotation players a first round pick and he still wants top of the line money. How is that a distressed asset? Like the only way is you're like, well, we're going to get, you know, the the all pro Kyrie Irving, like based on what? And again, if he shows up once a week, what does that matter to you? Kyrie, if he scores 27 a game and gives up 35, whatever. I mean, good. You know, I don't like Luka. I don't like Dallas. And I would love it. I mean, this is the thing is, if Dallas signs Kyrie to an extension, they might kiss Luca goodbye because that dude is going to piss Luca off. Like, he is going to piss that motherfucker off. Kyrie pisses everyone off. He's going to piss Luca off. It's just what it is. And obviously, Luca would have the pull to say trade Kyrie, but Luca's going to be like, these are the dudes that you bring in. I don't want to be here anymore. And I hope for that. That'd be funny as hell. Let's talk football. Although in many ways this sport is dead to me, I still will be gambling on it, and therefore I have to follow it and pay attention to it and love it. It's weird. And some of the news this week, very interesting. We know that Sean Payton has taken over the Broncos, and I just, I think this is going to fail. And I don't necessarily think it's because of Sean Payton, but I think that Russell Wilson is broken. I think that we saw this year that Russell Wilson has never actually really had to read a defense in his career. He was on a team that did so much running and had such a bad offensive line that it was so much backyard football where the play broke down. I have been a big time Russell Wilson supporter for a long time. I have been, I have ranked that dude above where other people put him, but 
this situation makes him look closer to Johnny Manziel than any of us ever would have believed. And by that, I mean, I just don't know if that dude can even really read a defense. And obviously, he can, like, read a defense. He's played quarterback for, you know, 20 years or whatever. But I'm not sure that he can read a modern NFL defense at the speed necessary to execute his position right now. Because the number of plays we saw last season where, like, he just missed dudes, it was really bad. And I understand the thought process of, you know, let's bring in Sean Payton, creative offensive mind. He worked with a short quarterback and Drew Brees. He made that dude's career extend. He got the most out of Drew Brees as anyone could want a Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. And I do think that, I think Russell Wilson will be better this year than last year simply because it would be hard to be worse and also because Nathaniel Hackett was woefully ill-prepared to be a head coach. Sean Payton will do some creative design stuff. I think they'll be better, but I don't think this thing is going to work as well as everyone thinks it is going to. And I got to be honest, the new Broncos owners seem like idiots to me. You know, they're the Walton family, and I just think they're too rich And I think they're too dumb to know how dumb they are, especially in this business. And I think that they think that they can run football just like they run Walmart or whatever. And we see this so often when new owners come in and they want to be too hands-on and I'm going to run this my way, blah, blah, blah. And it just doesn't work. And I didn't like the Broncos going into last year. I don't really like them going into this year. I think they'll be better, but... I think I just think the situation is this. I think Russell Wilson is mostly broken at this point. I don't think that Sean Payton can fix him. They're going to have massive dead hits in the years after that from Russell Wilson. It's going to be hard to find a new quarterback. You know, maybe they can maybe those dead hits will be survivable as the cap goes up and maybe you know Sean Payton can work his magic finding a guy or whatever, but I don't think that this is going to be the magical run that everyone thinks it is where the Broncos are, you know, so good every single season and, you know, kind of like the Saints were or whatever. Um, I just, I'm not sure about this. And again, I don't like the Broncos, so I celebrate the idea of them failing. Um, and I understand the concept of of Sean Payton being good for trying to fix a broken quarterback or whatever, but I don't know that he's fixable. And I kind of think Sean Payton would be better going into a situation with a young quarterback where – It wouldn't be so stressful. But the thing is, he walked away from the Saints because he didn't want to deal with Jameis Winston and not having a quarterback and figuring all that out. And now two years from now, he's about to be in that situation after the Russell Wilson thing falls apart again. And, you know, maybe a quarterback falls to them or maybe they're so bad that they're near the top of the draft and then it sort of works out or maybe some kind of free agency or trade shows up again, but they've given up so much capital already to acquire Russell Wilson, to acquire Sean Payton. Now you're going to have to eat dead money if the Russell Wilson thing doesn't work, which I just think it won't. I just I think there are too many factors stacked against them. And I think when you have bad ownership on top of that, you're basically you're you're dead in the water. Bad owners ruin everything in every sport, and I just don't think this is going to work. So I think it's going to be a a hit and miss. Um, One thing that's interesting, this evening it was reported that trade compensation has been uh, discussed and agreed upon. Derek Carr going to the Saints. Now, it's not done, 
um, there needs to be some discussion of, I suppose, what Derek Con- Derek Carr's contract situation would be. There'd be restructuring, especially given that the Saints are perpetually in cap hell every single year. The Saints are interesting. Every single year, they're fucking sixty to a hundred million dollars over the cap, and then somehow they end up under the cap before the next season. They just always restructure and kick the can down the road and use void years and all these interesting things. So I'm sure they'd be able to figure out a way to fit Derek Carr in. But I actually think this is a really interesting fit in terms of the way the team wants to play, the talent. Um, You know, I mean, I think Derek Carr and Chris Olave is very interesting. Um, And, you know, if Sean Payton was still in New Orleans, I think Derek Carr would be very interesting. See, I would be more interested in Sean Payton in Vegas trying to fix Derek Carr and fix the Raiders' offensive line sort of thing. I'd be much more interested in that than Sean Payton with the Broncos. I'd also be more interested in Sean Payton back in New Orleans with their car. That, to me, is a lot more interesting. I mean, the offense for the Saints last year was whatever. Their defense continued to be great. Dennis Allen did a phenomenal job as that, as head coach. Um, But, you know, the offense was kind of whatever. Pete Carmichael's been there since 2009, but I don't know that anything changes or is that exciting but it's just interesting because we're so close there's so many pieces there that could really be interesting if if some way sean payton and Derek carr come together i really would like that but um that won't be happening but i mean Derek carr to new orleans i think is interesting especially with the sadness i have over what happened in tampa bay and carolina still not having a quarterback and the jury's out on Frank Reich as a coach. I mean, I don't think he's bad, but I don't think he's definitively done anything to say, oh, he's going to be great. Steve Wilkes deserved that job. Um, you know, that it, so frustrating that David Tepper fired Steve Wilkes. I mean, Steve Wilkes deserved that job. He did a hell of a job taking a team that was like one and six or two and six or something that were garbage. He turned them around and had them on the cusp of the playoffs how do you not hire that dude? And the answer is racism and whatever. It, it's just, it's so depressing and it's yet another issue for another day. But um, given that also the Falcons suck, the point is that the NFC South is up for grabs and it's probably between New Orleans and Carolina next year. Who knows what Tampa Bay is going to do at quarterback. The team is old outside of that position anyway, even if they go young, like the team is older, still got great receivers. But other than that, it's tough. Um, so I understand the impetus to get Derek Carr. It's hard to get a dude um, that, you know, would be ready to go right away like that. Like, you know, rookies generally take some time unless you can get someone right at the top. And unless they want to trade up for that, you know, that's not going to happen. So you don't want to bring Andy Dalton back. You don't want to stick with Jameis Winston. I understand the Derek Carr move. I think it would be interesting, but it's tough to see that maybe being a big deal this year. However, Carr gets a long-term deal with New Orleans, and he is the quarterback. And they move on next year from Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael and hire, you know, a new name coach or something. That could be interesting. It would be something I'm keeping my eye on, you know, just kind of what's happening in New Orleans. And then finally, I understand there's a large football game this weekend that a few people will be watching. And I'm just going to say a couple of things. Number one. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you will know that I have long believed 
that Jalen Hurts could be a starter in the NFL and an elite starter in the NFL. I believe that dating back to his days at Oklahoma, not dating back to his days at Alabama, but when he went to Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley really got him to work on his downfield throwing, I really, really believed in Jalen Hurts and I have been proven correct. I'm going to take a victory lap on that one because that is yet another example of my quarterback evaluation being dead on. I have some misses, but pretty damn good with the quarterback evaluation. I also love Joe Burrow. How is he doing, by the way? Nonetheless, the team from Philadelphia is playing the team from Kansas City. Two teams I despise for different reasons. But the team from Philadelphia is going to win this game. They are a more complete team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The Chiefs have some defensive playmakers, but the Eagles are a monstrous defense. Absolutely swarming. They're going to get to Mahomes much in the same way that the Bucks defense did. And I think the team from Philadelphia really does have a chance to pull away in this one. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it will be an unfortunate situation where I have to hear more shit about Patrick Mahomes being the best of all time. But honestly, I believe it's going to be more annoying things from Philadelphia people, but it's okay because I'll just eat some cheese sticks. And that is the Blood Doctor Show on a Wednesday. We will continue again soon. Tell everyone around them that you love them. Tell everyone around them that you care about them. Tell them that you're sorry when you make a mistake. Don't be afraid to admit when you're the fool. Don't be afraid to say, hey, I fucked up. I went too far. It's on me. Just be that person. Be the bigger person. The biggest thing that you will hear me say on this show, when I say something wrong, I will come back and say, I was totally wrong about this. Whether it's sports, politics, whatever, I will always acknowledge when I'm wrong. I want you to do the same because when you can acknowledge that you're wrong, you're just going to connect with those around you better. It helps us grow. Being wrong is growth. It is what it is. Let's grow. Let's be better. Take care of those around you. Peace.